everybody. Welcome back to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined as always by Dante and Tommy. Fellas, how are you doing today? I'm sad, Mike, because I've just swiveled my chair about 10 degrees to the right, and the background picture on my Amazon Echo is Sekou Dumboya. So, bummer. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have an Amazon Echo, so I'm doing all right. Okay, that's good. So we've decided the best way to not be sad is to not buy an Amazon Echo. Yep. Uh, hopefully when Amazon sponsors us in the future, we'll just delete this episode. Anyway, <laughs> so we are just going to uh, step away real briefly now for a word from our sponsor. With football right around the corner, it's time to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. So listen up, you're not going to want to miss the details. Simply head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, don't worry, it's not a big deal because DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. As for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a million dollar top prize, which adds to the excitement of the game. Nothing quite adds to it like a free shot at a million dollar top prize. So... With that being said, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. Get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Okay, so uh, this episode is, uh, well, for those of you familiar with Monty Python, this just comes to mind and now for something completely different. Uh, we're just going to take a bit of a change of pace and in a show that uh, we've generally kept to a format most of the time, uh, we're just going to give our shot at having an honest-to-goodness conversation. So, <laughs> yeah, as funny as you, that sounds. I you phrase that like an alien pretending yeah, to be a human. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been, <laughs> I, I started this podcast uh, in April of 2019, of course, for the first, goodness, how long was it? Maybe four months, I think, uh, before, Tommy, uh, before Tommy joined me. Uh, I was just kind of talking. <laughs> so that's uh, it was good man yeah it was, still it fun. was I, I went back and tried to i mean you guys both heard it uh this this is an episode i didn't post i i, I did like a, a 25 minute solo episode on on salary cap mechanics which just grew so dense that it, i think for anybody it would have been like listening to a lecture and you've had to take notes and so <laughs> we just all decided it was just not it's just not a good episode uh, so we didn't post it it was it felt so weird just uh just recording so but uh yeah so we we talked about about the secret trade in the last episode we mentioned that it has now been 100 percent roster turnover since troy weaver took over bruce brown of course was the first domino to fall i believe yeah a couple of days before the draft was there anybody before that he took over in june 20 uh no i think, no, I think bruce was the, was the first, first one and i remember people kind of freaking surprised. out about it but it's like when you when you look when you when you sort of examine that in like the grander landscape of what's gone on it's it's a pretty small fish 
and I, and I say that as a big Bruce Brown fan, but it's a pretty small fish. And then, yeah, it's like you said, a complete reshaping. And I believe at the time of the trade, it was 289 days from the 2020 NBA draft. So that's when Killian was drafted, obviously the, the first pick of that class for us. And he's now the longest tenured Piston, which is absolutely wild to me. So it's, yeah, we were just playing my GM in real life. He, he really is. And I think it's for the better. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. It's been a great deal of change, certainly in a, in a short time. Yeah, I agree with you, Dante. And there's, it's crazy for a team with this much roster turnover. There's, it's, it's, there's so much optimism about the future, uh, just because it feels like the team has been built with purpose, and that's that's a far cry from the rosters of the past. And we were thinking, or we were just talking just a little while ago about uh, what the teams were like the past few years as we kind of got back into things and we kind of got back into this into this team, and uh, we were all, I don't know, just the the team has changed quite a bit. I don't know. When did you guys get back into the Pistons? I don't know if you were straight through uh, all the the rough years. I was not. Uh, I so I was not so much a huge Pistons fan uh, when I was watching during the going to work era. I mean, I really liked the team. Uh, I would largely just watch them during the playoffs. I mean, I I was I was pretty well familiar with things. So not not nearly a degree. And. The last game I really remember watching was game six against the Celtics in 2008. I was down in Austin uh, and I was uh, visiting a girl down there and uh, we were out at a sports bar and we were watching that and I just distinctly remember more or less the series and the going to work era ending when the Pistons were rallying near the end of the game and Tayshaun Prince grabbed a rebound. He held it out with that gigantic hand of his. Uh, to his side as he often would and I think it was Paul Pierce who just grabbed it away from him and scored <laughs> and that was basically the end of the game the end of the series and then early the next season Chauncey was traded away and uh, I saw that and was confused but I just wasn't that into the Pistons at the time uh, and yeah. then I, I really at the time I was actually really into the Red Wings so uh, between about 2006 and 2014 I was really a fanatic Red Wings fan about as up on um, the NHL, the NBA now. I got back, I kind of grew progressively more disgruntled with Ken Holland's management. I, I still think he's one of the most overrated general managers. And, and uh, you know, it's just, he wouldn't take risks, wouldn't trade players. It was just sign one washed up veteran in the offseason and just kind of call it a day. It's an oversimplification. That's how it was. And the team just stagnated. So the Pistons, after Josh Smith was waived, uh, I, I came back to watch. Just because I was, it seemed exciting. I was like, yeah, cool. It's, and uh, yeah, that, that's where I got started again on the Pistons and became a much more kind of in-depth fan than I had been before. So yeah, I switched from the Red Wings, whom, whose management I really uh, had grown to resent, to a much better managed team. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No, I, I only watched the Pistons when I was like, when I was a kid because of my family, like a lot of my... My grandfather especially was super into the Pistons and we were all watching like the going to work years. But then as my family just kind of stopped watching, I didn't really think about it. I just kind of stopped watching. But then I remember hearing on the news that Chauncey had been traded. I was sad about that, but I, I wasn't really watching the team at that point. I remember hearing the name Rodney Stuckey. I was like, didn't know who he was. And then I didn't watch the team for a few years. And like six years later, I was flipping channels and I saw a Pistons game on. I was like, oh yeah. I like basketball, and I started watching again. 
and uh that's wholesome (laughs) wholesome. oh yeah man yeah my 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 the reason that i got into basketball to start with uh, because i loved it all my life uh was because my grandfather was really into it like he played he played and he i know he followed it a little when, when he lived in india i'm indian and uh even when they moved here like my grandfather got super into the pistons like they moved to america in the 80s and then uh, they moved to michigan i think a year later and my grandfather was pretty quickly a pistons fan and even my grandmother got into it because my grandfather would watch games in their bedroom and there'd be like five minutes left and my grandmother told me this and what she said was she would want to go to sleep and my grandfather would say no no look at the clock there's only five minutes left just give me just five minutes but five minutes of game time is like 20 minutes or more so my grandmother would say okay yeah fine you can watch this game and uh that's how she started watching it and she she ended up becoming a huge Pistons fan she she loved the bad boys um and she would talk about like all the players like when I would talk about the Pistons with her uh, she would talk about Isaiah Thomas how good he was Rick Mahorn she remembered all these players and then uh, she didn't watch the Pistons like recently she was really more into it in uh, the 80s and 90s and then uh, the early 2000s but she she heard George Blaha uh, when I was watching a game just a few years ago and she's like I know that voice I know his name but I don't remember it I was like, yeah, no, she's a she's a legitimate super fan. Oh yeah, she she really knew her stuff. But her and my her and my grandfather, they they loved it. They're, my grandfather got uh, like uh, tickets to uh, the games, like the suites from his company. So they got to go and see some of these classic games and classic teams. And uh, their love of the Pistons kind of came to me. It's funny that I said that it was wholesome, and then you continued, and it got even more wholesome. Like so sweet. I literally have I have diabetes now. That was the sweetest thing I've in a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. man. Uh, yeah. I, no, it's funny. It's funny how those kind of familial bonds sort of make your fandom run a little deeper. You know. Oh yeah. Almost like For it means sure. something. Like I and, and I have a very similar um, story. My um, my nono and nona. That's Italian for grandma and grandpa. They em- they emigrated from Italy, and um, my nono was uh, from what I'm told. He passed away when I was very young. But from what I'm told the biggest sports fan on earth. So he was a big time Leafs fan, big time Lions fan and big time Pistons fan. Uh, he liked the Tigers too, but it was never really a baseball family. I guess they don't care much for, for baseball in, in Milan. So that's not something that was, that was too major, but he passed that down to my dad. And then my dad sort of passed that down to me. So it's, it, it's funny because it sounds like the two of you are really like hyper-focused on just basketball. Whereas I've had heartbreak <laughs> spread out through yeah, a, a diverse set of heartbreaks oh my god L- listen to this lineup my Pain first all over love. the place oh yeah, my god yeah my first love they sound like a barrel of laughs for all their fans oh my yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no my my first love was the leafs so that's been a really fun childhood for me love being a leafs <laughs> fan growing up and then um it's but but it's nice because you know then moving on to my interest in the nfl i was able to taste a lot of success being a lions fan so that was really good too. And then as far as the, the Pistons are concerned, I remember just loving basketball for almost my entire life, really. And I had NBA 06 on GameCube, and that's where I learned the rules of the game. I find that it's like that with me in a lot of sports. I sort of learned through a combination of watching with my dad and like playing GameCube, playing Xbox, doing whatever. But uh, yeah, I was very young when the going to work era was happening. So 
all I remember was how much I loved Chauncey Billups, but I never really had a deeper understanding of the game. And then uh, things sort of fell off and my interest in the Leafs and my interest in the Lions took over. And when you really love a team, it, it sort of feels like there's only so much love and dedication that can be spread around. But I remember um, in 2014, 2015-ish time, uh, it was it was a little slow on the sports front and I was bored and I started hearing about how apparently this guy named Brandon Jennings was just tearing it up for the Pistons. He was going on a little run, um, just lighting the league on fire. So I fired up a stream and the Pistons were playing the Bucks. And uh, if you guys are familiar with Brandon Jennings' injury, you know why it's pertinent that they were playing the Bucks. But Brandon went down. But for some reason, I yep. enjoyed watching the game so much that I just stuck around. Um, and from there, my love just grew and grew. And then obviously when you stumble onto like a community online, like the subreddit, for example, then you're surrounded by like-minded people who care just as much as you do. And that sort of bolsters your love as well. So fast forward five, six years later, and and here I am doing a podcast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, it was definitely the, that short stretch. I think it was 15 games in total, I believe. Maybe it was the 16th game between uh, the first game after Josh Smith was waived and when Brandon Jennings was injured. And, and uh, I, I was watching that game. I still remember what I was doing. I'd gone, geez, I don't remember where, I don't know, to some Pistons community to complain about KCP's defense. Uh, <laughs> I mean, KCP, was, a, he was he was a genuinely good off-ball defender with the Pistons. He's great at ball denial, uh, but not the greatest on-ball defender. And who would he have been guarding at the time? I don't think it was Brandon Knight yet. Actually, never mind. It was Brandon Knight. Sorry. Brandon Knight got traded shortly afterward uh, for Michael Carter-Williams because Jason Kidd's a dummy. But, yeah, it was it was just a super exciting time. I mean, the there was that buzzer beater, well, near buzzer beater against the Spurs. There was... I think it was the game after that they played against the Mavericks. It was still a good team, and uh, they had their first... A back-to-back on-the-road wins against the Spurs and the Mavericks since goodness knows how long. Uh, the game against the Hawks, which who were really on fire at the time, and they almost won that one. It was very close. Came down to the last basket. Uh, there were just there were just a lot of good games throughout that. There was this, this really banger of a game against. Yeah, Dante has me saying banger now, but uh, <laughs> against the, against the Raptors when, when Brandon Jennings uh, on, on the last play stripped Kyle Lowry uh, at half court on a final play and it was just it was just a good time the team really seemed like these guys all really liked each other they were oh, having yeah. fun playing yep and everything was going right could it have been sustained i don't think so but there was just a ton of fun and then of course jennings went down and that was that was just a heartbreaking moment there's also a franchise altering moment when you think about it because oh certainly so keep jennings you don't have jackson i don't think jennings could have been a long-term good point guard the Pistons for any team it, it's great that he's remembered for that amongst Pistons fans but the guy had basically peaked in the first month of his rookie year and then in, in like 2013 or not 2013 he's in 2009 and then he was bad for about five years and then he was good for about a month and a half and then he was bad after that mm-hmm. so you don't think he turned a corner no and a I know that the Achilles injuries are really killed him but uh but I mean he was just shooting far above his career baseline I mean, the guy was shooting a consistent 40%. Um, but even amongst, even even across those games, those, again, I think 15 games, 
he had some really good games and some really bad games. And I, I do I'll always admire and appreciate Brandon Jennings from how he really grew overnight from this kind of immature chucker into a leader because he really did lead that team uh, for that short time. Um, but no, I, I don't think this Pistons had really kind of, uh, I don't think the Pistons had really just suddenly found this team that was vastly more than the sum of its parts. I think that a lot came together to go right at one time and it was a lot of fun and there was a lot of hype and, and it really brought Detroit basketball back, so to speak, from after, after all those dark, those dark years, which are really dark years, of course, dark years would come after that too. So it's a great memory. That's all yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, whether or not it would have been sustainable and you put up a compelling argument for why it wouldn't be. And, and I tend to agree with you, but you know, if, if Jennings doesn't get hurt, you don't make the Reggie Jackson move. And then obviously the dominoes sort of, sort of fall from there. So it, it really was franchise defining. And then it leads us into the, um, I, I don't know, is the dark ages two dark ages, the sequel. <laughs> I don't know what I would call it, but the, oh, the, the, the super mediocre years. Yeah. The super mediocre. That's when I joined. Years. It was Stanley's rookie year. And uh, I remember Reggie Jackson was here and we were, that was in full swing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, uh, the, the working toward mediocrity pistons. Yep. <laughs> and it's so Driving funny. Mediocrity. It's so yeah. funny because I'm literally, so I know we joke about how I have Corey Joseph jerseys. I don't have Corey Joseph jerseys. <laughs> the jerseys that I own, I'm looking at them right now. So I've got a Killian Hayes jersey. Anybody who's on the subreddit, I actually, I, I made a comment. It was pretty funny. Something like if, if what was it if Killian scores in double digits tonight I'll buy a jersey and then he scored like eleven points then right after the game I posted a picture of the jersey I already owned so I do have a Killian jersey but then next to those are a Blake Griffin and an Andre Drummond jersey you bought you bought the Griffin jersey on the first night didn't you yeah that was yeah so that well that's nice that you remembered Mike <laughs> no, I literally poor child yeah yeah impressionable yeah. child I mean yeah it was it was back in your younger years. Yep, back in the my wee age of twenty one when, yeah. when I was uh, when I was nothing but an immature child, and I remember after the trade happened, I was so excited. I was so excited, not because I thought we'd win a championship, but just because we had a cool player, I guess yeah. star in parentheses, uh, or yeah, in quotation marks. So I, totally I uh, empathize. Tommy and I were thrilled. Yeah, you guys, I know oh, we're yeah. fired up, but yeah, I went I, to I, the did, first game and I it was the... fun. Oh yeah, I, I did the sports, this the, the mental sports analysis equivalent of uh, I don't know, like your engine dropping or your house burning down or <laughs> whatever. It was just the worst. Yeah, it was the worst. That's why I bought a jersey. No, I mean I I admire you for for just enjoying it for what it was. Mm-hmm. I looked at it and I was like, this is such a disaster. And it is the exact opposite of what the Pistons should have done in this situation. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> yeah, sure. Was, I remember exactly like, where I was when that happened. That was yeah, a, earlier I was in a physics class. Yeah, earlier in the day, I was I was driving back. Uh, I was driving back from New York City. I was, uh, I was living in Massachusetts at the time, uh, and I got a notification on my phone, and you know, I was on like some wide open stretch of highway, and so I looked at my phone, whatever. Uh, and then I promptly started texting, and no, I'm just joking. Don't text, <laughs> don't text, drive people. So, and it said something along the lines of it was probably from Shams or from or from uh, from Woj. Certainly, I think it was Woj that broke that one. No, 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 no. This is this is earlier in the day. This is the day oh. before. This is the day before, actually. Where it said the Pistons had made Avery Bradley available in trade oh. discussions, and I was like, awesome. You know, this team <laughs> is doing what it should. This is the only reasonable thing to do at this point. A sell. 
and just tell Reggie Jackson, stay out the rest of the season, play the young guys as much as you can, and you know get a good draft pick and come back and, and do what you can with it the next year, even if you're not going to sell Tobias Harris, whatever. That wasn't really a realistic possibility. I knew that. But the rest was perfectly viable. And I think that's what any sane team would have done in that situation. Instead, the Pistons did the exact opposite. I found that out the next day while I was at work and this notification came up and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. (laughs) Part of it in my head was just like, this is the culmination of, uh, this is just the the ultimate culmination of Stan Van Gundy. It's like, this is, um, I think I blamed Goraz more for the trade uh, at the time than Van Gundy uh, for whatever reason. I still think Van Gundy knew it was a knew that it was a incredibly unlikely to succeed, but that he got on board it was all about it because it was one of the only shots at saving his job. But man, that was bad. I was just so dark. Yeah, I was, I was so upset. I've never been more upset about sports than it was in that day. That that was <laughs> that was peak Van Gundy right there. And I know you say you blame Gores more, but then again, and and this is why when we talk about these managerial structures, it doesn't make any sense to put somebody's job on the line for a season. It doesn't make any sense for Gores, for example, to tell Stan, hey, you you know, you got one year to fix this or you're gone because Stan's the one making these executive decisions that don't just apply to this year, they apply to the future. And so why you would empower someone who's got their back against the wall to make long-term decisions for a team, I've yeah. got no clue, but that's well, a part of that... the Tom Gores experience, I guess. Yeah, it was, it was just uh, yet another cautionary tale yeah. as to... Yeah why you don't give both coaching and managerial powers to the same person. Van Gundy was one of the last. Uh, There was also Doc Rivers, who shortly thereafter... No, Doc Rivers had already given up his managerial powers. Uh, Budenholzer, I think, maybe it was his last year, or he'd already moved on to the Bucks or something. I don't know. Uh, Thibodeau was was the only one, I believe, to to outlast Van Gundy in that role. And, And just the fact is that when you know that you're the coach... And you're going to get fired if you don't do this. And you're also the general manager. You're yeah. going to do some really stupid things. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, and for the sake of maybe allowing yourself to win. Like uh, Thibodeau basically uh, was like begging Jimmy Butler to stay because he knew that Butler, if he didn't stay, then because they didn't have much leverage in that trade, especially because Butler was in his final year before unrestricted free agency. He clearly wanted out ASAP. And so. Like he knew that if traded Butler, he was going to miss the playoffs and he was going to get fired. And if you're not the general manager, also, you can't make that kind of panic move. You know, I mean, whatever. It's easy to make a panic move, but it's like you, you're just the coach. Yeah. But uh, but in order to get Van Gundy to pick the Golden State Warriors over the Pistons, Tom Gores gave him personnel control for dumb reasons. Wow. successful in business as Don Gores has been. He Until Troy Weaver, he really didn't do a good job of, of picking guys to run and coach his team. Nope. Nope. And I forget about that Golden State thing pretty often. So it's like, not only is is, is the, the entire legacy of the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years of the Pistons been defined by this era of mediocrity. Imagine if Stan went over and coached the coach slash GM to the Warriors. That would be, that would be something. That's even changing the, the ODA landscape. Or just even just the coach. You know, it, yeah. it's, um, he's not Steve Kerr. So oh, Steve Kerr is a great coach. Yeah, he is. He yeah. really is. Yeah. He gets, he gets sold short just because of all the talent he's, uh, he's had to work with, but he's just a great coach. I mean, Steve Kerr is highly innovative on the offensive end. I mean, makes the best out of the talent he has and he's a pretty good defensive coach too. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, 
like on, on the one hand, it's like, well, I would have preferred this would have saved us the annoyance of the Durant Warriors era, but Steph Curry would not have would not have had the uh, the desserts that well, whatever I was about to say the desserts that he deserved that were a little repetitive. He would not have. I'm happy that Curry got to win. I mean, Curry Me is too. such a great, he's such a talented player. Yep, and he he's such a great guy too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no Stanley with the with the Warriors. It's like, okay, guys, here's what we're gonna do. Steph Curry is going to run 40 pick and rolls a game with Andrew Bogut and the rest of you are going to stand there. <laughs> yep. Also, we're not going to defend three point line. Yeah. 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 No, well, they, they, they innovated. They were, they were the ones that came up with the, uh, the, 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 one of the, probably the most effective lineups in terms of small ball. Remember the death lineup with oh, yeah. I think Draymond at the five, they put Iguodala in. Like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't think Stan's a, coming up with that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, it was so. It was really in the 2015 playoffs when Steve Kerr did a couple of things that really changed the NBA. I mean, not not on their own, but there was, and and those of you who've been listening to this show for a long time, like a long time, will remember Tommy and I talking about this probably two years ago. But I still think it's really interesting. So one thing that he did was when they were playing against Memphis. Uh, with the grit and grind Grizzlies, who were really in their last legs, but still a good defensive team. Still had Tony Allen, who was first team all defense, and but couldn't shoot. So I think that the series got tied at two, and uh, Tommy, excuse me, Tony Allen was doing a Tommy Allen, sure, um, Tony Allen <laughs> doing a great job on Curry. So Curry decided, okay, here's what we're gonna do. On offense, we're going to take Bogut, we're going to sign him to Tony Allen, and we're just going to back him off into the paint and say, well, good luck to you. You can try to drive into Bogut, who's still a good rim protector, and uh, whoever just comes off to help, I mean, you basically just drive a new pack paint. So that's going to make you play four on five on offense, so you got to make a choice. You can either continue to do that, keep uh, Tony Allen on Curry. Tony legitimately would yell first team all defense at times after he made a good defensive play on Steph Curry. I do that too. When I play. Yeah. Uh, completely understandable. <laughs> yeah. So basically it was, so you can either keep him in and play four on five on offense, or you can take him out, have a functioning offense, but Curry's going to light you up. And there was no good choice to be made. And the Warriors won the next two games. And, uh, and then the second one of course was in the finals when, they went small ball and put Draymond's at the five. And Draymond back then was kind of like a reasonably good three-point shooter. His best year was in uh, was actually the the next year, the 72 win season. So 72 or 73. 73. 73 yep. win season. But yeah, that small ball lineup, I mean, that was really a new thing too. Uh, it was just really stressing spacing and shooting and sacrificing size. And that really helped lead into the spacing era. Like before... Up to even including that season, like it was okay to be power forward who couldn't shoot. And like three years later, you all those guys, power forwards who couldn't shoot, were either centers, had learned to shoot, or were out of the league. So naturally, we signed, we, we traded for Blake Griffin and paired him with uh, Andre Drummond. Yeah, well, I mean, course. Griffin could shoot, but yeah, it was like. <laughs> what was the quote? With some, when other people zig, sometimes you get a zag? Sometimes. Yeah, you know. oh, it was just I, the worst. He I gave can't like the most. That's a real thing. Yeah, he gave, <laughs> he gave the most dissembling interview of all time like uh where he talked about oh we just had to it just had to be done we'd have done it even if we we're on a 10 game win streak it's like okay stand 10 game win streak would have been, you were the third best team in the league yeah and oh the the tampa bay devil rays did this differently it's like dude 
know they're the baseball team and it's like oh well everybody else is shooting threes so we're just going to try to bang in the paint yep yeah uh, it's like no you're just trying to justify a trade that didn't actually make any sense well but I mean, yeah, I remember like, when that trade happened you you immediately hated it my initial reaction i was just like i, I knew what his contract value was i was my reaction was what he's making 173 million dollars you had like this long like drawn not not drawn out but like you went like piece by piece. He's like, no, this is not going to work because the spacing is terrible. And yep. props to you, man. You called it. Like, yeah, you called and it, it. And it fell apart. And we are where we are now because of it. And I remember talking about that on the pod. Like you mentioned episodes from two years ago, which it's crazy to think about and that we've been doing it that long. But yeah, uh, I remember one of the things. I can't believe for how few, like how badly we wanted this team to tank that we came on. On and uh, and recorded this because so often I would go back to the idea it was like yeah we just need a tank <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I, I said that pretty much all the time because it was just like yeah if you this team if everything team. comes together yeah you want a you want a three or four year tank didn't you yeah oh yeah, yeah you, you want mean, the long game right yeah and that, that that's that was the idea I remember I would my my story or my idea was uh you tank really really hard for the the first year and then hopefully that's when you draft your best player and then you're going to get a little better because of that guy and uh you keep tanking it was basically the process and then you want to start signing your free agents and then this is before i knew what cap holds were and you've you were actually the one who's been explaining all that stuff to me i was like yeah before your rookie extensions hit that's when you sign all your free agents and then you have like basically double the talent on your roster <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but it's it's been good this whole experience is really helped me learn basketball and the more that I've learned about it, the more I realize I don't know. And it's fun to learn about these things. Cause I remember this is, this is honestly a random story, but we, you mentioned how the subreddit kind of like changed the way that you were a fan. Uh, yeah. Certainly the case for me too. I remember we were having a bad game against somebody and in a game thread, I posted. Wait, um, the Pistons were having a bad game against somebody. That never happens. <laughs> I mean, yeah, on, on I know, that, that, like, that doesn't exactly up. narrow it down. I understand. Yeah, exactly. I can, I can understand why there's really nothing to distinguish it. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, here this might this might help you place the timeline a little bit. I posted, and this is when when he was good. Um, I posted. Do you think the Pistons could trade Reggie Jackson and Stanley Johnson for John Wall? And I got roasted for it. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was kind of when that is like yeah. the most 2016 sentence I've ever heard in my life. You you know you you're probably right. It was That's probably 2016 crazy. or 2017. It, it probably was because that one was when I thought these guys were good because I didn't know better. <laughs> well, and, yeah, yeah. And people talk like everybody wants to believe that everybody on their team is good and that they're more valuable than they really are. But like that's when like I knew I. I think I deleted it pretty quickly because it was like, yeah, no, that yeah, you just got. I, I didn't know what I was talking about there, and uh, and you know that ever since then, it's like you want to learn more. And no, for sure, the subreddits definitely helped with that. It's it's a good. I don't even want to say resource. It's just a good place to learn. No, it's nice, and 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 it's funny that you brought up how everybody wants to believe their players are good because this is something that I've been sort of kind of pondering on i guess for for the last little while like actually really not even the last little while like literally since way back uh since we won the draft lottery it's like what's so funny at least to me is now that we have a legitimate you know a a player like Cade cunningham who who can come in and potentially be 
Like, it's not crazy to be like, yeah, I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, that's not an absolutely wild thing to say. But it's like when you look back at the Blake Griffin era, the Andre Drummond era, uh, it's like we convinced ourselves that these players were actually good and they could take us somewhere. And I think fans are guilty of this and across all sports, across all leagues, across all teams. Like, and, and it takes really having someone with elite potential to understand the mental gymnastics that you had to do prior to convince yourself that these players were going to be something special. Yeah. On the other hand though, I like I was going back and I was thinking about this fairly recently. I did not enjoy that one good season from Blake Griffin at all because I couldn't get past the fact that, yeah, because I, I couldn't like I was, I went back and I watched the highlights and I, I was shocked at how good he was. I didn't, I did not remember thinking that when it was happening. So I don't know, I guess being too focused on what I want the future to be. I pro- I think it cost me some, some enjoyable oh, games. And some it was fun. Moments. I didn't enjoy he it. He was all. good. He was really good. And it was he really was good. And I, I didn't, it, it, was, it was impossible for me to appreciate it. Cause the, team, the whole time it was just, I wanted to yeah. tear it down. Yeah. The roster was an abomination, like an absolute, <laughs> like, like Blake did a, did, did a great season. He was a great leader. He really laid it all on the line. And, you know, yeah, Blake said recently, uh, you know, took a shot at, at Pistons fans. It's like, oh, I would hate me too for such and such. And you, know, you can say what you will and whatever. That's an entirely different topic. Like, I don't care. You know, I, with Blake, you know, I wish you well, whatever. And uh, I think it's, it's the best for all involved that he's no longer with the Pistons. So it, for, for himself and the Pistons, though, you know, sad as, it is, sad as it is to say he's a shadow of the player he was back during his last All-NBA season. But yeah, oh, he, no. he had a great season. You know, he was everything he could have asked for. Mm-hmm. And the team around him was such an abomination that there was no hope from day one that that team would accomplish anything in the playoffs. And that All-NBA season uh, basically did, got the Pistons to a 500 season in a week Eastern Conference and the, mo- the worst playoff series I've ever watched in any sport. So oh, it was, was like, I, just, I think statistically it was the worst that was rough. playoff. Play- like, yeah, yeah. Playoff imagine game. being was, at a game. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it the, was just the, awful. And throughout the season, there are times when it's like, yeah, I want the Pistons to lose because this is like peak awful. This is like peak, absolutely pointless, trying to compete for nothing mm-hmm. with this horrible roster that has no place at all in the modern NBA. I mean, okay, let's look at it. This was a roster that had nowhere near enough shooting, had nowhere near enough offensive creation, had like no legitimately good defenders uh, it's like it had one good interior score and one guy who create offense off the dribble those are both Blake Griffin it was based around still I mean it's still primarily interior focused Griffin was so based around him and Andre Drummond who was also in, in the interior and we all knew that was a bad combo from the start I think people called it excuse the language a lob shitty <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you go from uh you go from uh, you go from DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and Chris Paul to to Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, and Reggie Jackson. Yeah, and uh, it disparaged DeAndre the Pistons legend DeAndre Jordan all you want. Like yeah, for a while, yeah, he's he got was tenure very, here. You better take it easy. Yeah, for a while he was a very good player. I mean, and at his peak, he was better than Drummond ever has been. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was. I was just looking at the team though. I'm like, there is no capacity for this team to do anything. It simply does not have the parts. This is horrendously pointless. Mm -hmm. I would like to see them just lose. So something changes. I mean, I don't like, you know, it was, it was just awful. And and it's just awful. 
Yeah. You want to hear well, something funny? Go I ahead, Dante. I'll, I'll tell mine after. No, but I want to hear something funny. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the, we love Matt Shook on the show, and one of the reasons that I love him is because when he was doing uh, Locked On, he this was he was doing it all throughout this that era of Pistons basketball, and it's. I don't know Poor how guy. he did it, but he grinded <laughs> for, no, yeah, every God, day, man. and he still had the honesty and integrity to say, "Yeah, this team is going nowhere." And no every offense, day. like no every shots at anybody who like yeah who creates content about the Pistons, but like they have to ignore that reality, or they had to at that point because if you admit that the Pistons aren't going anywhere, well, what are you writing about then? But Matt Shook said it, and like I remember, I would listen to his him talk about the Pistons on my commute, either on my way or on my way back from school. And I remember I would pause or mute his, his recordings or his podcast. And then I would yell emphatically just how much like agreeing with him. It was like, yes, thank you. Thank I, you. Because nobody was saying it. I, I take it. And it, was, no it was the most frustrating thing. Yeah. That was how, that was actually how I practiced. Wow, that was, because this, this, this was back when Tommy was, uh, was driving uh, a bus for uh for a local old folks home <laughs> <laughs> yeah you stopped the bus in the middle of the road and screams screaming yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say yeah i take it no passengers in the car then at that point no no. <laughs> okay. no no that was that was that was my commute that was definitely no passengers in the car because mike you asked me honestly this is this ties into that you asked me before you started the show when you were first starting the show i, I joined on thing on episode seven you asked me initially if i wanted to join you i said no because it was too nervous and I ended up doing it because literally like when I would listen to podcasts and I, I would agree with something, I would pause the recording and then I would answer. And that's how I practiced <laughs> uh, podcasts before I joined this show. And so thank you, Matt Shook. You are half the reason that I do this. <laughs> yeah. Matt is, Matt is such a cool guy. And it's funny you told yeah. that story, Tommy, because the first time we had him on, I was like so nervous. I was so nervous because it was like, and he ends up being the most down to earth guy. <laughs> yeah. And like, I was like, I'm about to meet one of my heroes here. And then he, and then he comes on and he's just like the coolest guy ever. And Tommy, you he told him that. Props. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, Tommy, you told him with the story that you just relayed. And then I told him as well that, yeah, it, it must've taken some serious bravery to get on the microphone every single day and tell it like it is and yeah. telling it like it is entailed, you know, having to unfortunately tell the listeners, results be damned right that this team's not going anywhere it wasn't going anywhere yesterday it's not going anywhere today and it's not going to be going anywhere tomorrow unless something changes and it was so apparent to everyone except for the people who mattered except for the people who are making the decisions (laughs) you know and that's just so exhausting as a fan right and that's the kind of thing and then he has to go on the next day and talk about something else exactly Exactly. (laughs) and it must have been so frustrating so exhausting so i give him props for, for 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 having the guts to be honest I know that that's what we try to do on this show as well. Like sometimes we can maybe come across harsh on players, but that's because we've seen some really bad basketball, you know, and people, people are very critical of the Detroit media in general. I'm not saying we're a part of the Detroit media, but take the lions, for example, you know, Jim Caldwell, former lions coach, he, he referred to um, the media room or the press conferences that he had to do as the dungeon of doom because mm. everybody was so negative all the time. And it's like, well, well, yeah, they're negative because the team sucks and the team has no good future <laughs> outlook whatsoever. Oh, man, can imagine having to cover the Lions as your job yeah, yeah, for years yeah. and years on end. I mean, yeah. imagine the kind of rage that 
that just would develop inside of you from having well, it, that it, job. It's tough. It's tough. I and think that's you... why I'm able to weather even the worst of storms <laughs> with the Pistons because the things I've seen. So you got the Maple Leafs too. I've got the Maple. Oh, don't even get me started. I, I, it's, it's. So I've told. I don't know if I've said this on the show. I've told the guys. So we, we actually have season tickets to the Lions. I'm, I'm in Windsor, um, Ontario. So I'm literally ten minutes away from Detroit. I go to school in Detroit as well. Uh, at least pre-pandemic, anyway. I was over there every single day. It's like pretty much my second home. And I used to come back. Not used to. I, I come back consistently from these Lions games with like the thousand yards there. Like it is horrendous. <laughs> the things that I've seen, no child should have seen growing up. The things that I've experienced, like I feel like a seasoned vet. So there's not much the Pistons could throw at me, whether it's mismanagement or blowing a game or having a crappy season or making a Blake Griffin trade. That's going to phase me too much because between the Leafs and the Lions, I've seen it all. Like I've seen every form of mismanagement and getting screwed by the refs and poor play and poor roster construction that you could even conceive. So, I wow, my heart rate's up. You had, a dark, you, had a, you had a Batman reference last time, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, what was yeah. the Bane, what's the Bane quote? It's like you were you were you merely adopted you merely adopted the pain. Yeah, you adopted it. I distinctly remember being and and dedicated Detroit sports fans will know this one. I remember being eight or nine years old. And Calvin Johnson, my hero, I'm looking at a signed Calvin Johnson football right now. It's on my desk. It's like my prized possession. So Calvin Johnson was my hero growing up. And I remember against, I believe it was the Chicago Bears. And he caught a touchdown pass to win the game as time expired. And then he got up and did a celebration and he slammed the ball down or he kind of like dropped it to his hip as part of the celebration. And the NFL, like the, the officiating crew ruled it no catch because he didn't quote unquote maintain possession. And that led to like a rule change, which is now referred to as the Calvin Johnson rule. So when you literally have rules being changed, named after your players or named after the times that your team got screwed over, that's how you know your fan base has seen it. You know, <laughs> they've been through some stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, geez, uh, that, that that's my awful, tirade. But yeah, it's good. So let's, <laughs> I, I, I've got a question is sort of a change of pace. So if we're talking prior to this last season, which of course has just been has just been entirely different than than anything else we've experienced over the last decade as Pistons fans, and I know that we're constricted a bit because we weren't, you know, fortunately for uh, our nerves and you know cardiovascular systems and so on and so forth, not watching during uh, like the the first half of it, more than the first half of it, like you know two thousand and nine through two thousand and thirteen. That was just an awful, awful period by all indications, and mm-hmm. you know, respect any Pistons fan who sat through that. Uh, but, yeah, seriously. Yeah. So if we're talking, like you know, at the start of the 2015-2016 season onward, because we had we had all gotten to the Pistons by then, uh, and prior to this last season, what would you guys say your favorite moments, favorite stretches from those, you know, not so illustrious seasons were? Because I feel like there were some good times. Oh, there yeah. were certainly good times. The one that sticks out to me. Um, if I don't pinpoint it to a singular moment, I really did enjoy Blake's season. I, I know we've made so many jokes about me having the jersey, but I, I, I went to um, the first game. I was so excited. I instantly bought tickets um, to the first game. I went with a bunch of my buddies, and it was against the Mavericks. And I remember not being excited. No, the, uh, the first Blake game was against the G League Grizzlies. The G League Grizzlies, sorry. Similar color scheme. That's why I mixed it up. So it was the G League Grizzlies. I remember going. And I yeah, wasn't they were, excited. They were just- 
G League because they were just injury butchered at the time. Yeah, no, they were not a good team, and they didn't put out a good product. Oh, they we were a bad in. team even before the injuries. Yeah, and they were correctly. completely decimated. I do remember that. So I go to the game, not necessarily excited for the long-term outlook of the team, but more excited, like, oh, my God, it's Blake Griffin. Like, I've seen him in commercials and stuff, and now he's a pissed, and he's dating Kendall Jenner. This is cool. And we, we go to the game, and it was just – I mean – I think electric is the right word. Like there was like a tangible excitement in the building that I hadn't felt in a really long time. And and I understand that it's on the grand scale. It didn't mean anything, but it was really, really cool to watch him just play his heart out every single night. And, and I've referenced this on the show a few times um, when I went to, it was game four, it was game four against Milwaukee in the worst playoff series of all time. And when Blake checked himself off um, or checked himself out, everybody stood up, started chanting MVP. And like that gives me goosebumps still when I watch clips of it on YouTube, because I couldn't think of a a better amalgamation of all these different feelings that dedicated fans must have felt watching that season. And that it's like you said, Mike, the team around him was just an abomination, but he still did everything he could because he was a professional, you know, he was nothing but class and, and he was so talented and his talent just really shone through that season. So that to me, and then I guess the 50 points against Philadelphia too, Blake's responsible for like three of my favorite Pistons moments. So I don't regret the Jersey at all. I really don't. Cause it reminds me of like, you know, where we came from, where my fandom, I guess, really started to take off. And hopefully I can look at that Jersey for like the foreseeable future and even into the distant future and sort of look at it and be like, wow, this organization has come a long way. Yeah, that's a good one. I, once we made the Blake trade, I got really cynical and, I had trouble in truly enjoying the Pistons, so mine are pre-Blake trade, but I have two that I think of. One of them, it was the Pistons were playing Portland, and I remember this one clearly because the game, it had either gone to overtime, and it was like really close at the end, or it was like the fourth quarter, and it was an inbounds play, and there's like 10 seconds left, Yeah, this, and they get it to KCP. You, yeah, this, you know which play I'm talking about? Yeah, this I believe... This was in the 2016-2017 season, uh, and it was uh, like maybe somewhere between November and February. I think actually, excuse me, this was between, uh, this is probably in January or February of, uh, of yeah. 2017. Yeah, one of Reggie Jackson's really rare good games in that season. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, West Coast Road Trip, and then I remember it was super late. It was like 1 a.m. when that game finally finished up. I was in my bed, blanket over my head so the light wouldn't show uh, and I wouldn't wake up anybody. And it was, honestly, looking back, it was probably like a really terrible shot to take, especially since there was like 10 seconds left on the clock. But they inbounded to KCP and he promptly takes a shoot, a turnaround three-point shot and he, he knocks it down. And I remember like, I did that thing where like, I didn't want to make any noise and wake anybody up. So like, I was like hyping myself up looking at my phone and but I was like perfectly silent like I was going crazy but I was just moving but it was like perfectly silent and that was a really cool moment and then the other one it was uh Tobias Harris who was probably one of my probably my favorite piston through that era um during the the Warriors 73 and 9 season uh the Pistons are one of those uh nine losses it was no that was this close was, game this this was actually uh two seasons so the Warriors 73 win season was 2015-2016, so that was Tobias's first season there. You're thinking of 2017-2018, so it's two years later. It was it was when Durant was there. Yeah, Durant Durant joined after the 73-win season. 
So this was this was Durant. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Warriors. Yeah. You're right. But it was it was definitely the Durant. It was yeah, the Durant it Warriors this, though. This I remember that because Warriors. it was a rainbow three over Durant, and this was peak Kevin Durant hate. Wow. So yeah, I'm, I'm mad at myself for mixing that up. But yes, I, mean, I remember Tobias hit a yeah. game winner uh, over Kevin Durant, and that was that was amazing to me. So that that solidified my love of Tobias Harris. But yeah, those are the good moments. Game. Yeah, terrible game, but that was a big moment. Yeah, the <laughs> that stretch, and this is often forgotten, I've found, that was that stretch to start the 2017-2018 season. I mean, that's, I, I think, often thought of as just the season over the Pistons went out and traded for Blake, but... But oh, really, that was that was the that was the best start to a season the Pistons have had since the going to work era. That was and remains actually that remains the best opening night starting lineup the Pistons have fielded since the going to work era was was at the start of the 2017-2018 season. So you had a lineup of Reggie Jackson, Avery Bradley, uh, Stanley Johnson, Tobias Harris, and and Drummond, of course. And your bench was like Ish Smith, Galloway, Kennard, Anthony Tolliver was back. Uh, Pistons didn't have a backup center because Boban. But Pistons came out uh, and won 14 of the first 20 games. And they did so against good teams. I mean, the yeah. next season they would come out with the Blake Griffin Pistons would come out and go 13 and 7 with a comically easy schedule. And this is not me saying I told you so. Uh, this is just how I saw it at the time. It's like the Pistons are playing games against exhausted, bad, or injury-ravaged teams. That's why they're winning. The schedule is going to get difficult, and they're going to start losing a lot. And that's that's what happened, because that was a paper tiger team. It was not, ha-ha, I was right. It was just like the opposition got to be actually difficult. That team wasn't good. They were 13-7 and seven in their first 20. This team was 14-6 and six against good teams. They they won on this Western road trip. They beat the Clippers, who were 6-0 and oh at the time. Uh, on the next night, they beat the Warriors, and then they played the Lakers. And Stan Van Gundy decided to let his bone tired veterans, and just he didn't like them or something. He was going to run them into the ground, um, and that was just a great time. And that Warriors game was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, this was a this was like a really a team playing as a team. It was fairly well balanced. Avery Bradley grew to be terrible for the Pistons, but he was very good in his first month or so. Stanley Johnson was actually playing good basketball. Uh, they had a new offense formulated by the assistants and brought on uh, it's said by Jeff Van Gundy who apparently just watched Pistons tape and said this isn't working why are you trying to why are you having Andre Drummond shoot out of the post this is a horrible idea <laughs> uh, whatever the case they were just playing good basketball and in my opinion that's the best basketball the Pistons have played over the like the last 13 years uh, since uh since the end of the going to work era, but that Warriors game was just fun. The Pistons were up against an, an extremely talented team and they just grinded it out. This win against the Celtics later on. I don't know if you guys remember that one. It was right before the season really took a downturn. Um, it's, it's ringing a bell. It's yeah. So, bell. uh, you know, credit to Drummond. He had a great game. Tobias had a great game. Uh, the Celtics and the Warriors were really like the two best teams in the league at the time. So the Pistons finished that stretch 14 and six. And after that, it was all downhill. Uh, because Bradley went downhill and Stan Van Gundy was the only person in the world who thought that Bradley was fit to be a, like a primary option of any kind. And oh God. Teams, yeah, teams figured out the just, when shot. you said that it came back, the long twos, I remember going yes. insane. Oh, it was awful. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Man. So, oh, my yeah, God. I mean, you know how Stan Van Gundy was. <laughs> he, he just, he called all of his plays from this like super short playbook. He had, he was just completely out of his element, but also like he didn't do anything to keep the offense fresh. So other teams just adapted and it stopped working. Yeah. Yep. And 
yeah. but what really killed that season was Reggie Jackson uh, basically tearing up his ankle. I think it was like at the 27th, I believe, of, uh, of December of that year. Yeah, it was against the Pacers, yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, was it against that the was, Pacers? That was the ankle sprain. Yep, it was the Pacers. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking the Magic. They played the Magic in the next game, I think. But if he hadn't been injured, I doubt you see Griffin on this team because uh, that team is still capable of making the playoffs. Um, like, I think if you'd feel that roster under a competent coach, that, that could have been like a second-round playoff team, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, there was legitimate excitement around that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, was, it's like... That was a fun time. Yeah, it was. I feel like it's not as well remembered just because the team had no star power. But it was like it was the kind of it's sort of it was a team you could root for. Yeah, it was it was, a, it was a team you could they, root they for. And it was a team team. You know, these were guys yeah. who were playing as a team. Reggie Jackson had really matured from his horrendous season the, the the season before, and so it was it was a team playing as a team. But yeah, so that that was my favorite time, and yeah. there were. Like the season before that, I mean, if we want to talk about least favorite times, the least favorite time was not for me, the Blake season. It was 2016, 2017, when it became very apparent to me that Stan Van Gundy was not just a mediocre coach, but actually horrifically bad. Yeah. For for me, it was still, it was still the Blake, because I got so hung up on, on like, I I couldn't get past like the idea that in my head, this was a waste of time. It was just kicking the can down the road because it felt like it wasn't going anywhere. So when they finally decided to rebuild and and tank it out, I was just relieved. I, I, I was so happy when we were losing all these games. Yeah. That moment where where we they flipped the card and it's the Rockets picking number two. Oh my god. Know, it just made it that was just a moment of pure euphoria and it felt like everything that we had gone through was worth it. Oh oh certainly. Because so, I wouldn't change a thing about this. <laughs> that was a fantastic past. moment. It was such a good moment. I wouldn't change yeah. a thing about these past. Oh, I really wish we could say if I wouldn't it. change a thing. Oh, I, I don't know. I like where we ended up. I, I, uh, I just, I mean, I'm excited for the way things are going. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm not denying that. I just, I feel like it could have happened a long time ago if this team had yeah. been under competent ownership, and sure, competent management, sure. But I mean, uh, but if you look at it, we haven't just seen one uh, overhaul of the team. I mean, if you look back to like 2014. Uh, so that team uh, was fully overhauled. So that team, Drummond was the last player around from that team in 2019. I think he was the only player even left from that team, in aside from Anthony Tolliver, who had come and gone, even in the season. Um, wait, no, Jackson joined the team then. So yeah, the, the Pistons really did, went full circle from, from, like Van Gundy really almost entirely rebuilt the roster. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Drummond was the only person left from when he'd gotten in by the time, by the time, uh, by the time he was fired, even before that, because uh, KCP was the the second to last one. So from, yeah, from the start of 2014 until the beginning of 2017, 2018 season, almost complete overhaul. And yeah, just this, things have changed rapidly, largely because the team has been incredibly unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was not built. Yeah, well. that's what, what I, that's what we wanted when they when they made yeah. that trade. I don't know if I don't know if I ever said it on the on the podcast. But I know Mike, you and me, we, we had like these actual conversations where I was like, "Yeah, I hope I hope this team fails so that I hope they fail so spectacularly that they're forced to rebuild." And it and happened. They did, and they did. You know, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> here's, here's, of... a, here's a question. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Just here's here's a question. Oh, no uh, what do you think it was that finally changed Tom Gorez's mind? such that he said, okay, 
uh, well, what he said was, you know, we don't want to be fighting for the B8 seat every year, for example. Yeah. But such that he was finally willing to say, okay, we're going to take short-term pain for long-term gain. What do you think finally changed his mind after eight, after nine years? Um, I think what sort of got the wheels spinning in his brain is actually my answer for least favorite moment of this past dark age. And that it's funny how I, I cited the Blake MVP chance as one of my favorites, but the series that that came in, what an embarrassment, like honestly. And, and I yes. remember thinking, it, yeah. yeah, it's, it's like, I remember thinking all my dedication this season, all the comments I left in the subreddit, all the posts I made, all the times I spent refreshing Twitter, trying to look at the trade deadline, trying to see who we're going to sign in free agency. Who are we going to draft? What are we going to do? And it culminated in that. Like I paid money to see that. Like the it was biggest. An embarrassment. Oh yeah. my god, the biggest beat down. It not you know metaphorically speaking, statistically speaking, like literally, yeah, the biggest beat down <laughs> in the history of the NBA playoffs. I've never. And 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 I think something like that I is a slap NBA in the face. Playoffs. Yeah, I think. Yeah, but it's just a slap in the face. It's just a bucket of cold water. It, it has it to horrible. be for Tom Gores because it's like this is the culmination of what you did. You scraped and clawed to get into the playoffs and you were rewarded with national humiliation on the biggest stage. So to me, if that didn't start turning the wheels in his head, I don't know what did. And I'm pretty sure the subsequent season was when they they sort of were like, okay, maybe now it's time to make some changes. And then you start dismantling and you start shipping some parts off. And of course that, that culminates into getting the first overall pick landing Katie Cunningham, but it all started, you know, with that absolute embarrassment of a playoff series. Really put the cherry on top of the worst era, you know, I've seen. <laughs> so I would say it was that. Yeah, I was in the the game threads when that happened. They were super active, probably still to date the most active game threads. Actually, oh, yeah. the summer league threads with Cade are actually pretty close in terms of total comment count. But when that was happening, oh my God, so many different people from all, like other fan bases were coming in just to like make fun of us because we were getting consistently thrashed like we got spiked out of the playoffs harder than literally anybody mm-hmm. it was terrible that was, a, that was a rough moment horrendous it was yeah, horrendous so you tommy you think that's what uh you think that's what yeah no that's that's when i thought of it there's there might be like another time because i know they didn't i don't know if they started to tear it down immediately after that point but no they did not no they were gonna run it back yeah, yeah and uh but i think they could just see it wasn't going i don't know if was there like a injury with blake that so Blake got was Blake, that it? He had surgery. He came back in, and he didn't think look like December himself. of the next year, and was terrible. And yeah, he was just he was, was awful. He looked even worse than he did last season. And he, and then he bowed out and uh, to, to have surgery again. And that's that's, right. that's the point at which, right around then, that you started hearing the that the Pistons were trying to trade Drummond. It was was shortly shortly after that, I believe. Yeah. So. Yeah, what I think, so I have a couple of thoughts. Number one, you know, Ed Stefanski gets uh, basically his thing with the Pistons. I think that, uh, well, maybe not. I'm, I'm not sure how many people know this story, but probably a lot of fans do that uh, That Stefanski was brought on as a consultant <laughs> to help the Pistons <laughs> hire a new coach. Yeah, this is an all-time great story. So, yeah, and, the then he, and then he, got him, he hired himself as GM, more or less. <laughs> Or the, the spot was unfilled. There was no GM, but he was, he was, you know, he was basically de facto general manager. That guy's and, the goat. Yeah. <laughs> That's so so funny. that was funny. And Stefanski will say does not, I mean, he has a very undistinguished management career. He's been around for a while, but he generally hasn't really done a very good job. Uh, but, uh, and I'm saying this based just, I don't have any hard evidence of this, 
just based on what I saw the Pistons do and what was said that I think he was part of what got through to Goras since before that Goras had really been dealing with kind of amateur general managers. Uh, You look at Dumars. Yeah. He he built the 2004 championship team. Absolutely. To go into work Pistons. He did a great job with that. He wasn't really this sort of professional management guy, so to speak. Stefanski had been in the business for a while. Uh, Van Gundy, needless to say, was also not a professional management. I mean, that guy was an amateur. Is that, you know, by by definition, an amateur in uh, in in NBA management. Now, Stefanski was a pretty entrenched professional. I think he was a guy who was willing to talk to Gores in a way that Dumars and Van Gundy had not. And I think that maybe Gores was more willing to listen to him. Because you remember in in the Blake season, so to speak, the Pistons could have bought at the deadline. Instead, they sold. They sold Reggie Bullock because it's like we, we don't, we're not going to be able to pay him in the offseason. Though ultimately, they would have been able to pay him in the offseason. <laughs> but uh, so they sold him for two seconds in Spima Kyluk, who uh, who was himself traded for future uh, Jersey retiree uh, Hamadou Diallo. So. <laughs> In any events, so there was that, and he came out, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to be to be buyers at this point. Uh, it just it just doesn't make any sense, and uh, and and we're we're not going to be doing stuff without an eye to eye to the future anymore." They they drafted Seku. Remember, after the Blake season, they could easily have gone in and said, "We want the guy who can help us right now." Yeah, but they didn't, and, and they didn't. Yep. So, I think Stefanski actually had a significant role in it, and. You know, I don't think he did the greatest job in terms of personnel management, but, you know, if this was his contribution, if this actually was his contribution, then he should go down in Pistons history as a very important personage in, uh, in, in making things happen. So, to Oh, speak. no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Like, unironically, I know we joke about him being the GOAT, whatever, but if he was able to get into Gores's ear and sort yeah. of make him understand... And, and I like what you said about how he's able to speak to him on a different level than prior general managers were because he was coming at it from a place of experience and a place of tenure. And if someone with that pedigree, not that he had, you know, this spectacular track record of managing teams, but, you know, he'd been in the league for a very long time doing this job. And if he's able to look Tom Gores in the eyes and say, this isn't working, this is what we need to do moving forward to ever have a chance of being successful. Mm-hmm. And Gores listened then Stefanski deserves to go into the Pistons Hall of Fame. Seriously, yeah. if this era amounts to <laughs> anything. Because that the, the success, not the success, the importance of that can't be understated. Because none of what's happening right now would be happening in the absence of that if this is in fact the case. Yeah, so I would say, uh, I think Stefanski was a factor. I think Gora's getting his big star and finding out that not only was that not going to make you win, I mean, having this 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 star who has a superstar season, not only is this not going to make your team successful, but yeah, it might not set even, you back. Well, yeah, it might not even bring in ticket sales. Yeah. So yeah. seeing that and seeing the Pistons uh, have that great season out of Blake and then get obliterated in the playoffs, I think uh, that that might have showed him that you know his his kind of amateur style of meddling was maybe was maybe best left to the professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I think once Blake got injured, I mean, I, th- I think that maybe the culmination of those factors, it was just clearly the end of the line for that roster, but they could still have tried to do something different and, and they did not. And yeah, I, I think that uh, if we're ever, I don't know if we'll ever find this out. I think we'll find out that Stefanski had a significant role, but thank goodness it happened either way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His son's the coach of the Browns. Isn't that crazy? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, his son's the head coach of the Cleveland Browns helped turn them around. So I don't know if there's a 
something in the water in the in the Stefanski neighborhood. But uh, I think these guys kind of have an understanding, and maybe that just comes with the tenure. But they have an understanding of what it takes to make an organization successful. So I'll give no, him all the credit that. in the world. I'll give him all the credit in the world if it turns out to be the case that he convinced Gores, or at least had a heavy hand in helping Gores understand that things were not going the way that they should have been going, and, and we were just headed for perpetual imminent mediocrity. Um, yeah. It- it's, I, I don't think, I mean, here's the thing about Stefanski though. He's very, in terms of his actual performance, in terms of personnel management and team yeah, management not great. in general, very, very mediocre. Well, he hired himself though. Yeah, he hired him. I mean, he, you got to say great judge of talent. He can say, you know, I know this guy. I have known him my entire life. <laughs> Literally. You know, I can, I can absolutely day. tell you anything you want to know about him. There'll be no <laughs> secrets. And I think he's the right man for the job. Trust him with my you life. Know, I can give him an unimpeachable reference. Absolutely <laughs> unimpeachable. There's nothing I don't know about him. There'd be no secrets that he can keep from me. You know what that reminds me of, though? And this is something that came out when Troy got hired. Apparently, they had tried to hire him a couple of years ago, or a couple of years before uh, he ended up joining the Pistons. So maybe you're right. Maybe maybe Weaver, or not Weaver, uh, Stefanski was like, yeah, this is a guy who could maybe help us start something new. And Gores was unwilling to do that. And Troy Weaver doesn't want to join a situation if he knows it's destined to fail. So... They just had to wait for, you know, uh, Tom. I think Weaver like, said okay, that, didn't yeah. I think What's Weaver that? was asked, but he didn't want he Yeah, but I mean, I, if, 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 if ownership is like, yeah, we want to keep competing because it seems like that's what they wanted to do at the time, I wouldn't be surprised if Troy's like, yeah, I'm not going to step on a, a ship with a hole in the hull. No, he had a good gig. Why, why would you, you know, you know, looking forward that, that you're well thought of, that you've been assistant to a, a fairly successful general manager. And going down the line, you can find yourself a gig. Why would it be with uh, the toiling and mediocrity Pistons under an owner who's not willing to give you any latitude? And you're going to be exactly. basically going and have your and, and thanks to the team's cap situation and the directives imposed upon you, you're going to have your hands cuffed right away. Mm-hmm. That's horribly. That's horribly a general manager job. No, why would you ever want to take a job like that? Well, I mean, some guys, yes, but Weaver, who I'm sure must have known that just his his. Uh, his resume was going to give him opportunities in the future. Like why take that opportunity? And yeah, no, he certainly wasn't desperate. He knew that things would come along and and obviously he's very confident in himself and in his leadership and management abilities. So we're lucky that he didn't get poached sooner. We really are. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's, I think he must've been offered the job by Stefanski and Goris in the context, you know, basically uh, like, the job he got offered this time must have been just so radically different. Had to have been the pitch yeah. he got last time. I mean, I'm just thinking it's like it must have been night and day in terms of in terms of what they uh, in terms of what they were offering. It's like okay, capped out roster. You have to win. We don't have assets. Uh, <laughs> you know, good luck. Or <laughs> or you know, you can come in and you know, and we'll give you a lot of latitude. Yeah. You know, and he hasn't been given a lot of latitude. The Pistons have spent and and will in this upcoming season spend a lot of money on players who are not playing for the team. Oh yeah. A lot of money. Something like the Pistons have right now around 40% of the cap tied up in dead salary. And you know, credit to Tom Gores, he's willing to pay the money. He's willing to pay the money for for players who aren't playing for the Pistons. The guy has always been willing to spend the money. Yeah. And um, now how, we're how, not how uh, we, we're not desperate anymore to Yeah, how to he gets the games. money is kind of a little bit more <laughs> dubious though, I'm sorry to say. But yeah, I mean, now we're able to take our time, be patient with it, and I think that's going to pay off in the long run. Yep. Yep. yep absolutely. Before we wrap, I just wanted to, uh, I, I know we had talked about this prior to recording, and this is something that's that's really important to us, so I felt it was important to 
kind of talk to the listeners about. So obviously this is a listener centric show, you know, had its origins in the subreddit and we've all just spent the past hour uh, sort of interweaving into our story of how we, you know, came to be such big Pistons fans. The subreddit's a part of that. So um, we're always looking for feedback. We're always looking for ways to improve the show and to know how the listeners view it and what the listener experience is like. So we usually um, post on the subreddit with a direct link to the podcast. So what we're going to get go ahead and do for this episode is we're going to have the same post as usual, but in the comment section, you know, if, if you're listening to this and if you care enough to do so, leave us a suggestion, leave us feedback, leave us comments, let us know what you'd like to see us do in the future, what you think we do right, what you think we could improve on. Because honestly, I know I speak for all three of us when I say that we are absolutely invested, number one, in the long haul of this show and number two, in the listener experience. So we want to give you guys the absolute best podcast that we can, but we can't do that um, without maximal, um, honest feedback. So if you could go ahead and leave a comment um, on the subreddit and we'll, we'll put something in the body text of the post to remind you guys. But aside from that, yeah, I'm uh, that's all I wanted to say. I think I'm ready to wrap up. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, we we're always looking to improve and we're very, very grateful for you guys for uh, really for making this podcast what it is really oh, when yeah. I got started, it was really just an opportunity for me to, I don't know, talk and try to produce good content. I don't, honestly didn't really think, uh, didn't really consider, you know, what it might develop into, but uh, it's, uh, you know, now we're, we're part of a network, we're sponsored. We've, we've got, uh, we've got a, a very a solid listener base and we're just, we're just very grateful to all of you, for, you know, for, for sticking with us and, and for being so supportive. So yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, always looking for, for feedback and always looking for, for ideas on future content and just, you know, what you guys would like, would most enjoy listening to. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's been nice to see the steady growth, hasn't it? You know, yes, it, it's, definitely. it's, uh, we certainly saw, oh, it's so encouraging and then little peek behind the curtain. We, we certainly saw a boost when the Pistons won the draft lottery, but that boost proved not to be temporary. You know, we, we've really grown or we've seen growth in the show and it, and it stayed consistent. So really all we can extrapolate from that is that everybody who's listening genuinely enjoys our analysis, genuinely enjoys our personalities. And so of course we want to, you know, give back and make the show as enjoyable as possible. So I never imagined that I'd be doing something where I'd be a part of a network and, you know, I, I now I'm able to do it with, with two people who I genuinely outside of the context of the show feel like are my actual friends. So this has been likewise. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. I feel like Tommy secretly hates me, but me and Mike are besties. So, but other than that, such a genuinely. <laughs> <It is all laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, and Matt, I can't forget it. He gave me the opportunity to be, to be able to speak to Matt Shook, who's like literally Superman to me. So I've just, I, I don't know. I'm just incredibly, incredibly grateful. This has been such a fun ride. I'm not getting off anytime soon. We got to see this through to at least a couple championships, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, hoping we'll be we'll be around to continue doing this for years to come. Yeah, that'll be a fun episode. Oh uh, my absolutely. god! <laughs> oh my god! Number one, before we go, what's your guys' favorite episode we've ever recorded? Because mine is the instant draft lottery reaction. Oh, I don't know. We've we've done a lot of good ones. I generally always have a good time, and I, I think that was that was the most. Uh, I don't know, hyped up, excited. I mean, I. Oh yeah, we we hopped on not long after the draft lottery. Like my hands were literally shaking after I saw Mine the number one pick. I mean, I could, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was it was the most exhilarated I'd felt in a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tony? 
for me, I think it was episode 48. It was our series that we were doing where it was um, we check up on the players of interest. And it was Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, uh, Jeremy Grant, Killian, and I think Josh Jackson. And that was the first episode that I actually listened to. Because up until <laughs> wow. that point, <laughs> pure honesty, like I, I, I didn't want to do this initially because I was too scared to do it. I kind of tried to force myself, but even that, even then I recorded 40 something episodes without ever listening back because I would hear my own voice. And I would immediately kill the recording, but that was the first one where I liked it enough. that I was willing to listen to it. And now I listen to the, the podcast and I enjoy it, but that was the first one where I felt like, I felt like there was some growth to the point where I could actually listen to myself. Yeah. So that one was, that was a good one to me. Wholesome answer after wholesome answer for this guy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So I guess, uh, I guess that's it. Unless anybody's got any final thoughts. No, it's uh, just, I I hope, uh, hope you all enjoyed the episode and it was a bit, a bit of a change of pace and a little unorthodox. Yeah. Well, for us. Yeah. Yeah. For us. Yeah. And uh, there's definitely uh, something we'll do again in the future if people enjoyed it. Yeah. So yeah, folks, as always, thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.